It's a Mailbag Monday where we're answering the question, which top shortstop prospect might break spring training with the big league team? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use promo code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So really great question in the mailbag this week from new Discord member Doge. If you want to join the Discord, by the way, links in the episode description, links in the show notes. But he asked about which top shortstop prospects might break spring training as the starting shortstop for their team next year. And I think the easy number one person to go to on this is White Sox shortstop Colson Montgomery. So top prospect, obviously, but injured a lot this year, right? Was top 50 entering the year, had an oblique injury in spring training, and then a back injury kind of slowed him down. Didn't get back on the field until June in the complex league. Goes to high A Winston-Salem and then goes to double A. So 64 games for Colson Montgomery is all he played in this season. And that's, again, between rookie ball, high A, and double A. And that's why you see him in the Arizona Fall League right now, trying to make up some of those reps. But in those 64 games, 287, 456, 484, eight home runs, 25 extra base hits, 56 walks, 256 strikeouts, and 205 on stolen bases. I think Colson Montgomery's done a couple things, right? The first thing that he's been able to do is answer the questions we had about can he stick at shortstop or not? He's a little bit of a bigger guy. I want to say he's listed like 6'2", 210 or so. And so there were questions about can he, from a physical standpoint, from a logistical standpoint, can he stick at shortstop? Does he have to kick out to third or what's going to happen? I think he showed last year that he can play shortstop defensively good enough at the major league level. Now, his actual numbers at shortstop this year didn't look great as far as the number of errors and things like that. I think part of that is coming back from injury. I think part of that is also defense naturally gets better as guys rise through the minors right? And missing so much time and then going right back into minor league action, you've got to get that internal clock down and everything synced back up. And I think Colson Montgomery may end up, from a defensive perspective, having a rookie year in MLB where he's not that great of a a defender. And then in year two, it turns around and he is significantly better. Kind of like what happened with Bobby Witt, where Bobby Witt debuted for the Royals and defensively was not very good. And then got significantly better in his second year to the fact where he was a plus defender in his second year. Colson Montgomery feels like the kind of guy who's going to do that as well. But when you look at this team and you look at the depth and where everything is on here, uh, it's something Elvis Andrews is a free agent. They brought him in. He was a one-year stopgap. Tim Anderson has not played well enough to be like, to say I am the shortstop and I'm not moving. And from what I understand, he has actually said that he would move to second base. Now, 30 years old, there's a $14 million club option with a $1 million buyout. I don't know if they exercise a $14 million club option on Tim Anderson. 
And so this may be something where, I mean, your options are Romy Gonzalez, question mark? I mean, Lennon Sosa, question mark? It kind of feels like Colson Montgomery is going to be the guy kind of by default in Chicago. And I don't necessarily think he'll have an amazing year, but I think he'll be good enough, right? So that's the number one for me. Now, there's a couple other places you could see the guy get the call. But if he does, you're very much going to have a question about is he going to play shortstop or not, as well as it might be a little bit early in the, the conversation to do it. So Marcelo Myers, one that I hear a lot about, he's going to be the starting shortstop next year, right? And I'm not 100% sure that A, he is the starting shortstop to start the year, and B, if he's called up that he is playing shortstop. You did sign Trevor Story. Trevor Story did come back this year, and he finished the year as your shortstop. I don't necessarily know, like. Emmanuel Valdez was your second baseman. It feels more likely that you're going to, like Marcelo Meyer, you're going to give him more time to marinate, right? Uh, 78 games last year, finished up in double A. So didn't even spend the whole year there. 236, 306, 433. 13 home runs, 34 extra base hits, 32 walks to 86 strikeouts, and 9 of 14 on stolen bases. Marcelo Meyer feels like he is not ready. And barring some short sort of another injury to Trevor Story, like where they had to scramble to find shortstops this year, barring something like that, I don't see Marcelo Meyer opening 2024 as the shortstop in Boston. Brooks Lee is in a different situation in Minnesota because it can be argued that he is ready despite not having great numbers at AAA at the end of the year, but this is more of a blocked by other position kind of thing, right? So... 125 games, again, ended the year in AAA, didn't go amazingly, so you could see if they held him down, but combined line for the year, 275, 347, 461, 16 home runs, 58 extra base hits, 56 walks to 91 strikeouts, and 7 of 11 on stolen bases. I absolutely think you could, there is a world where Brooks Lee comes up and out of spring training in 2024, Brooks Lee is your starting, uh, is makes the major league roster. But how good Carlos Correa has looked, assuming that everything is fine with his foot and he's no longer dealing with injury, he's still going to be playing shortstop. And so Brooks Lee becomes a, now you have to move somebody. Do you put Byron Buxton back in center field, make Edward Julian the DH, and then put Brooks Lee at second base? Is this something, is Jorge Polanco, does he stay with the team? Does he leave? If he leaves, you could see uh, something where you put in, you've still got Royce Lewis to put somewhere. You've still you got Brooks Lee to put somewhere. And so I don't know if Brooks Lee is going to break camp with the team. He'll have, he'll probably be ready if he does, but another scenario where you've got to find a place to play him. And when you look at what he did in St. Paul, Small sample, 38 games, but 237, 304, 428. You could easily see where a team could look at that slash line and say, we're going to wait on Brooks Lee, give him a little more time to get ready, and then when someone is injured at the major league level, because going off previous history, somebody's going to get injured at the major league level. When somebody gets injured, then Brooks Lee gets called up and stuck into whatever spot opens up, whether it's third, whether it's second, whether it's short, whatever it might be. A few other guys that came up in the conversation, Carson Williams of the Tampa Bay Rays, Adele Amador of the Colorado Rockies. Both these guys, to me, it feels like a little bit early. They spent the bulk of their seasons 
and high A. Amador had 54 games in high A and 10 games in double A Hartford with the Yard Goats at the end of the year. And good numbers in Spokane, great numbers in Spokane. 302, 392, 514 with nine home runs, 26 extra base hits, 31 walks to 26 strikeouts, uh, 12 of 16 on stolen bases. Great numbers in high A, but he played 10 games in double A. Feels like a scenario he's going to open next year, probably in double A. And with like with the goal of, by the end of the year, making him a late season call-up, let him play some second base. And then that, Tovar and Amador is your double play tandem in 2025. Carson Williams, from a level perspective, same situation. 105 games in high A Bowling Green. 254, 351, 506. 23 home runs, 48 extra base hits, 53 walks to 147 strikeouts, 17 to 26 on stolen bases. One of the better infield defenders in baseball. Carson Williams is a no-doubt shortstop. And you saw when all of that Wander Franco stuff was first happening, they brought him straight up to AAA to have him as an emergency major league option because he's so polished defensively. But he got one week of the regular season and some postseason time in AA at the very end of the year. He didn't go up there until Bowling Green season was over. He got six regular season games in Montgomery. Now, he was good. 9 of 21, two extra base hits, four runs scored, four RBIs, four walks to five strikeouts, three or four on stolen bases. He was good, but he spent two weeks, counting the postseason, not even two weeks, in AA. And Carson Williams feel like he's going to go back to AA to start 2024 and probably a similar time frame, provided Tampa has shortstop options at the major league level that they can roll with for an entire season. In just a minute, I've got a, f- a little bit different thing for you today. We're having a prospect interview, Hunter Harris of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, really enjoyed talking to him about some of his background, how he got into major league baseball. He was an undrafted free agent, what he's been doing to help the Braves prepare for the postseason. So going to do that in just a second right here on Locked in MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at GameTime. GameTime is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. No matter what type of event it is, sporting event, concert, comedy show, whatever it might be, you see the view from your seat before you buy, you get an all-in price up front, no hidden fees, and you buy your tickets in seconds with two taps, and they have the game time guarantee that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less than what you paid game time, they will credit you 110% of the difference. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. So download the game time app, create an account, use code locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Now, terms and conditions do apply, but create account, redeem code locked on MLB for $20 off. Download the game time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Welcome back in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. Very excited to be joined today by Hayden Harris, left-hand pitching prospect in the Atlanta Braves organization. Uh, Hayden, thanks for joining the show. And uh, you have a really interesting backstory as far as coming out of Georgia Southern, undrafted free agent, and and your path to the Braves. Do you mind kind of 
breaking down some of the really interesting stuff in your background, whether it's the Savannah Bananas, whether it's LinkedIn and kind of what all that stuff did for you to get to where you are today? Uh, I guess we can start kind of with the Bananas part. I, yeah. I went there for like the playoffs that year. And I guess getting, I would say like going there and playing with like no cares in the world was kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. Like the whole LinkedIn thing and all that. It was kind of like, you know, I'm not going to leave anything up to doubt, so I'll just go and do, like, try to find a way to separate myself, basically. And the bananas, right. you know, they do everything differently. <laughs> and I guess I kind of carried that over subconsciously. And then carrying over to, like, the LinkedIn thing. That was the next summer after kind of like a – I wouldn't say it was a very – like a great year in college baseball for me personally. Like, we hosted mm-hmm. a regional, which was – probably still one of my favorite moments but uh going into that next summer i was like well this could be my last you know time playing baseball i was like i'm gonna go like go up there perform do whatever i gotta do and i think one day i was on linkedin probably looking for a job not like baseball wise right and i was looking through my connections and i was like i got a couple of scouts up here so i just started adding a lot more scouts and i was like i made a plan you know, send in track men numbers, video stats. And then Alan Butt with the Braves, he he was kind of the guy that I held a conversation with for a while. And then he ended up calling me on my drive back up there for the second half. It was like an eight-hour drive. I was like five hours in. He called me. He's like, would you play for this? I was like, dude, I'll play for a Snickers bar. <laughs> he said, all right, give me an hour. And he sent me the contract while I was at a gas station. I signed it, and I was like, oh, man. Uh, what gas station was it? Very important. A lot of people, <laughs> it, it's a big deal to a lot of people as to what gas station it is. Oh, uh, where was I? I was, let's see, I was on. You're heading to the draft I, league, so it's probably I, like I was Sheets to or a Wawa. To, Mar- to Maryland, because I was playing in Frederick. So I was probably somewhere in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. I remember a closed peach stand which I didn't know that they sold peaches in North Carolina, but it was like a closed, like kind of like, you know, fruit stand that's open. And I pulled in and it was a peach stand and a gas station kind of connected. And I was like, sitting there just waiting, you know, to get the contract or whatever. And that turned around, drove back. So all you North Carolina people, if there's anybody here, you know. So, so you signed with the Atlanta Braves as an undrafted free agent and something where, the expectations for a lot of fans when they see undrafted free agent in Major League Baseball aren't necessarily a lot. And you you spent some time in rookie ball, but mm-hmm. then this year, assigned to Augusta, where, I mean, you're born in Augusta. Like, literally, this is that that's your area, like, neck of the woods. You yeah. start in Augusta. You end in AA Mississippi. What Did you expect to move to three, like, play in three different affiliates in one season? Did they expect you to do that? Did they give you a heads up? Or was it just you just kept performing every time you went through the minors? Uh, I was, I mean, you always have like the little, the self-expectations and everything. Right. And when I came in that spring training, you know, they really like hyped up because I'm, I, my fastball is like something, I guess, different. That's the best way to describe it. Like it's not, it's not a hundred but it's also not like a BP. I, I don't know. I'm not 
I know how to read the numbers, but I'm not like that huge into them, I guess. I just kind of right. do what they tell me to do and they tell me it'll make me successful and it works. But, uh, so they had like, they signed me and they do their research. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Bryce Fancy with like AA and all those guys, they go and trade for like no name guys that not many people know about. And then all of a sudden they show out because they pay off with their strengths. So the whole organization kind of works that way. And I mean, I wouldn't say I expected to be in double A and then, you know, pitching truest in a playoff workout against big leaguers, but they're very, you know, they're very like, Hey, if you perform and you're showing what, you know, we want to see, we're going to move you. And then me being an older guy, they also, it's kind of, Ben was telling me that it's like me being an older guy, I have the experience playing. It's just a performing aspect. So perform well, you'll move up, you know, probably quicker than the high school guys. Mm-hmm. But if you don't perform, you know, obviously they don't have, you know, much money t- or anything tied into you. You know what I mean? Expectations. So it's, I like to say that like ignorance is bliss. So I just <laughs> would just go out there and pitch and then I get like a call into like an office or somewhere and they're like getting moved three times. And I'm like, well, all right, that's cool with me. <laughs> I'm not going to complain. I mean, if you can pitch four innings against Florida state in 2022 with like one hit and four strikeouts, I'm pretty sure you can handle somebody in Augusta. And so like, it makes sense. They're going to move you to try to get you to an age appropriate level. The, the, we've talked a lot on this show about, one of the th- things people fans don't think about when you change levels is how the baseball changes. Like you have yeah. the, the, the college baseball. And then when you get into the lower minors, you have that lower quality ball. You got to double a Mississippi when they had that tack, that pre-tacked ball, the, the powder ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of rubbing off a little bit on my hands just as I'm holding it as a prop while I talk to you. What was it like going from the lower minors ball to the tacky ball to the regular ball for the second half of the year. Like what were some of the differences you noticed and like how hard was that adjustment trying to change every seemingly for you every month or so you're changing to a new ball? Yeah, I would so low A and high didn't have any different balls, but when I went to Mississippi yeah. it did. And those I don't even know how to like describe it because it didn't feel like rosin when you pitched with it, but mm-hmm. it was like when you got sweaty, the ball did not get slick, if that makes sense. So yeah. it was a lot easier. Like, I'm a big rising guy, like, when I pitch with, like, the normal baseballs and everything, just to have, like, a feel and a little bit of, like, texture, I guess. So that was – it basically felt like it was already on the baseball. And, you know, I would say it was a good thing, but probably the hitters wouldn't agree because <laughs> I think the numbers with that ball were pretty – I don't think it was like that huge, but it was definitely noticeable. And then you go to like the normal big league ball, and yeah. then and then us playing in like a hundred degree weather, it's like yeah, you got to rosin up dirt, off anything you can to hold on to that thing. Yeah, it's it's that was one of the biggest like just the biggest takeaways we've gotten from prospects this year is is kind of uh, how hard it was for the hitters to kind of deal with that, and it, like it's. It's something where, for the most part, pitchers liked it, hitters didn't. And, like, it's small samples, so it's kind of hard to go off of this. But, like, 
hitters hit 189 off the tacky ball off of you and like they hit 245 off of the regular ball and it's like well you know the ball carries differently did you notice that the ball was doing different things when you were using it or was it just kind of i'm just focused on making my pitches and we're gonna see what happens yeah i'm very much like an execution guy so Mm -hmm. i don't like like i'll go look at the numbers to see if something was off on a day or something like that right and you also have to think about things like you play a whole baseball season. Like you're going to end up getting tired and things are going to change anyways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can tie that all into just the baseball. You can also tie it into, you know, your body's wearing down. Like I lost a lot of weight. People told me every coach, everybody said you can't prepare for your first season. Even though I yeah. played five years of college ball, they were like, you can't prepare for it. And I mean, they were right. So I wouldn't say it was all like just the baseball. Like, also, you get tired, you know, velocity kind of goes up and down, fluctuates, stuff like that. And I was working on a slider as well, so it's like, I wouldn't say it's all the baseball, but then again, I don't think you can kind of deny it. It was definitely different. Yeah, and and that, it's more so an adjustment for the starters, but like going from that college uh, pattern of pitching once a week to you're paying playing six games in six days in in the pros feels like it's a big adjustment another thing that a lot of folks don't talk about and so like it's 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 kind of good to hear that that's starting to become more of a conversation point amongst fans and you know prospectors and things like that is like hey that first year in pro ball is really tough it doesn't matter how long you played you know, it's high school college whatever that's a hard transition because you know, you're, you're, you're doing back-to-backs or you're pitching three straight days, things like that. How, what did the organization try to do as far as keeping you guys, like monitoring how much you were work you were doing and, and how much throwing you were doing? Did they have uh, specific routines in place or specific guide rails like you couldn't throw three straight days, things like that? Or was it more of a, how are you feeling today? How are things, how you doing today? I know that there's, a rule. I'm not sure if it's the whole league or if it's just the Braves, but if you go over, like, say a starter goes over, like, they just have a rough, like, first inning, and they throw 35 mm. pitches. Like, they can't go back out, usually. And that's, like, a safety thing. Yeah. And then I would say that mm. our pitching our pitching guys and everything did a very good job of, like, not – overdoing like the back-to-back or like say i would throw like i don't know two innings 30 something pitches like Mm -hmm. you're gonna get probably a day more like two days off like you'll throw light the next day and then i was like i was really sore on my second day so my second day i might not throw like at all i might toss a little bit they're very good about us keeping to our own like kind of like filling it out and learning ourselves Mm-hmm. but then they would also like you know guide us if we were like you know doing too much in between outings or not doing enough in between outings like they were very i don't know the word i don't know the word for it to it attentive i guess they were attentive to us it yeah. is very individual it wasn't like uh these guys are doing this starters are doing this 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 yeah it's very individualized yeah and and Paul Davis kind of feels like that guy that that has really been pushing the individual pitching development for each individual guy versus that here's what everybody's going to do 
kind of thing. Have they given you any specific like off-season goals or things they want you to work on uh, between now and next year's spring training to kind of wrap uh, up some of the minor league stuff? Yeah, yeah, I was down. I left Mississippi a week early for my development week and went down mm-hmm. to Florida for a couple weeks before coming up to Burnett, and it was basically slider camp. Like, that's where I struggled this year. It wasn't the heater. It wasn't anything like that. So my goals are last offseason I prepared very well, but I wasn't as – I have to find a way to keep, like, especially, like, weight. I'm a mm-hmm. skinny guy if I don't, like, keep eating, 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 and you sweat so much. So it's really hammering on the slider, like, execution of it. It doesn't even have to be, like, anything otherworldly because the fastball would make it a better pitch anyways. But it's the slider and then putting on the weight and having a better routine through the season to keep the weight, which in turn, you know, you stay, you know, keep your velo, stuff like that. You mentioned getting uh, moved kind of up to Gwinnett and, and you've been helping the, the major league team with this week of preparation that, that they're doing for the NLDS. And, and they learned last year, you kind of just can't hang out for a week during that buy before you go into the NLDS because your guys aren't as sharp. So uh, how have you been, I guess, day-to-day working with the major league roster and, and what kind of role have you had in helping them stay ready to play the Phillies on Saturday? I would say uh, it was over the past three days. So we, we did like scrimmages the past three days, simulated mm-hmm. games and fans mm-hmm. were invited, you know, free tickets, the lower bowl and everything. Like it was, it's to keep them locked in and facing, you know, live arms and everything. But it's also mm-hmm. like an opportunity for like, you know, guys like me and guys that haven't pitched in the big leagues yet you know, face those guys, get that done. But it's ultimately, you know, preparation so that they're, I feel like it's probably a bad taste from last year. They started out slow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of been commented on. And, you know, we were asked to go out there and, you know, play a game against them. Like, it's still baseball. Obviously, you know, they're the best offensive team in the world, yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. But it was like really, it's definitely not a playoff atmosphere, but it's a lot better than, you know, live ABs with nobody watching and or just taking BP and stuff like that. I think it keeps it very, you know, keeps guys locked in, but it also keeps it like very like light and fun for, you know, everybody involved. You know, we have to ask, who did you get and who got you like out of that lineup? Cause you, oh, I'm, 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 sh- I'm sure you faced a couple of them. Who, who did you get and who, who got you during those three days? It was, so I pitched last night. That's the only time I pitched against everybody, mm-hmm. you know, in the game or whatever. And I closed it out. I struck out Pilar. I struck out, uh, Williams. Williams. And Nick Clarno, who I played on the bananas with, yeah. he's caught me all year. He's the one, you know, I go O two on him and I get antsy. Throw three straight balls, you know, I'm cussing up a storm on the mound. And you have to go at him. I'm not going to walk a guy. And he took me deep. And then the next guy is Hilliard, who I faced down in Florida probably eight times. Like, he would face me twice every time I threw live. So he could, you know, get 
at bats against lefties and stuff like that. And he flew out or whatever. So it's hilarious that, you know, you face like the the big league guys, guys that have all that time. And then it's your old teammate from the bananas, my roommate in draft camp. That's the one that hits me, that takes me deep. <laughs> but, but like knowing that you got Kevin Pillar to strike out, like that's going to be one of those things that you carry all off season. Like, Hey, nothing else. This fastball is good enough to strike out Kevin Pillar and he's yeah. a big leaguer. So I'm, I definitely belong here. Yeah, nice. I would say I would say it definitely like gives you like confidence and everything. Mm-hmm. It's and I kind of like as the season went on and I was building like not like a false sense of confidence, like a confidence in hey, I can do this every day, I can execute every day and everything. I thought I could pitch in the big leagues, and I still think that. And I think and you know I wouldn't be pitching in Truist if the Braves didn't think that I had you know the opportunity of doing that either. So I kind of just carried it that onto pitching on that field and everything. Like I was doing my best not to be like starstruck, you know, little kid. I grew up a Braves fan and all that, mm-hmm. but I felt very, you know, like I had some adrenaline, but I was like very comfortable. It wasn't like overwhelming. And I think it has to do with, you know, they believe I should be there. I believe I should be there. So, you know, it's still baseball. Yeah. And and your your performance this year definitely showed that. I mean, just in double A by itself, three and two, two eighty three record in twenty three uh, twenty three appearances, twelve point nine strikeouts per nine innings. So definitely have the talent and somebody who it, it feels like Atlanta r- thinks that you legitimately can be a contributing part of the bullpen going forward. You know. At, at, not sure exactly when, if it's next year, if it's out of spring training, if it's the end of the year or something like that. So very excited to have you on. Very excited to kind of hear your interesting story and, and how you were able to help the Braves. Hopefully that they go on to, to win this NLDS and you can, um, I think if they win the whole thing, they probably have to give you a World Series ring. I think that's probably the <laughs> that, rule. I mean. That, that would be sick. I would sure hope so. I don't know the rules behind it, but I'll take your word for it. Over my I'm mind. pretty sure they can give it to whoever they want to. So yeah. like. But like, they're definitely going to give you one, but Hayden, thank you for the time. This has been awesome. Um, and best of luck in the off season and then best of luck kind of going forward, uh, with Atlanta next year. Yeah, brother. I appreciate it.